morning everybody uh good to uh good to worship together good to see you um yeah so as you know i think most of you do that we have been in um been going through the letter that paul wrote to the ephesians um we are we we are uh i want to say pausing i suppose we are but it's within uh it's within the context of the letter that we thought it would be good just to stop and talk a wee bit about us a wee bit about who we are um so this felt like a good moment to do that as we've said several times the the letter of Ephesians seems to be perfectly divided into two for us the first three chapters um reminding us of the story reminding us of the gospel story of 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 Jesus how everything is in him and through him and for him points to him and how he is God and his wisdom has decided to to make him known to make his wisdom known through the the church um and then the second the, the chapters 4 5 and 6 are are the outworking of what it looks like to be grounded in this story to have our hearts and our minds captivated by the gospel story by the story of Jesus how being rooted in love and maturing in Christ is going to impact every relationship um in every area of your life and that's what the next the remaining half of the letter is going to speak to so um so before we make our way there we just thought well the manifold wisdom of god uh the multifaceted wisdom of god is being made known everywhere through the church and uh and although we're not all of the church we are a part of it and um so maybe this is too grand a statement but how is the multifaceted wisdom of god being made known through this place <laughs> um that feels too grand all of a sudden pressure's on um but we on our on our midweeks we're in chapter five this week in the book and um again really wonderful discussion i'm so blessed by getting the chance just to share with one another hear one another um but in the in chapter five of rick's book he quotes uh he quotes a church planter called alan hirsch and alan hirsch says that the church doesn't have an agenda it is the agenda the church doesn't have a missional strategy it is the missional strategy so um we're wanting to get to four chapters four five and six and we believe that it is it reveals to us what a maturing community looks like what a community who is maturing in christ who is growing their roots deep in christ what that community looks like what a people rooted in love growing to the fullness of jesus what that those type of people will prioritize so we want to talk a wee bit tonight or this morning about um grace community church uh, a wee bit about our our values a wee bit about the the bigger picture that we are a part of and we want to touch on as well on uh what we give to as part of the mission and the and the calling of this place uh, we don't have time this morning to go into to the history um, but maybe just enough to say that that um, the church was planted as drop-in community church in 2005 
And so from 2005 to the present day, there's been a change of personnel, there's been a change of name, there's been a change of location. Um, that is all of the history that you're going to get. If you want to know more, you've either been a part of the of the journey or um, come in and, uh, and chat a wee bit more to us if that is of interest. One of the things about um, one of the things about having these types of conversations is that very often the first thing you're asked is what is the vision? What is the vision of the church? What's the long term plan? What's the long term goal? I think one of the things that probably frustrates Judith about me more than anything, um, the list of things maybe at the top of that list is uh, just it's like I just don't seem to have the ability to think beyond today. Um, Sometimes that's maybe a good thing, I don't know. Uh, but sometimes when you're, when you're leading church and you want to cast vision, and you want to rally people to do something, um, whenever that's your default, whenever that's part of your personality, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to sort of lay out, here's where we're going, guys, in the next five years, jump on, here, here we go. Um, but I, uh, and I suppose almost to, the, to justify myself slightly, is I was was around like so many church leadership conferences in 2018, 2019, and I'm telling you, you will never hear a slicker, more well-presented, clear-cut vision and strategy for 2020 than I heard in those two years building up. 2020, everybody, church leaders were buzzing about it being 2020, and everybody geared up, everybody had this vision for the next five years, the next ten years, it was going to change their lives, change the church, change the communities. Maybe we sound a bit like a bit crass with that, but but it, all of a sudden, all of that planning and all of that vision, all of that that it was like out the window, down the pan, whatever. And um, maybe that's maybe I'm sounding like I am just myself. I'm sitting in the corner thinking, I ah, see if you're just worried about from one day to the time. Um, but anyway, oh, I, I don't have a big pile to share with you around vision, but what I do have that I keep coming back to over and over again is the words of the Lord in Jeremiah 29. Um, and I know speaking to a different people, speaking at a different time, but the words of what God, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel speaks to a people in exile um, th thousands of years ago, for me, still seems to resonate uh, today with what um, what I see the vision of this place being. And so, this is what it says: uh, This is what the Lord, the God Almighty, the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Um, and we could get into that. Some of our conversations in our midweeks has led us to talk around. We're no longer in Jerusalem. All of the things that the all of the things that were normal as we grew up in a sort of a more Christianized society, we we're no longer in Jerusalem. We're we're in Babylon. Um, but anyway, this is what the God of Israel said: build houses and settle down. Um, the New Living Translation says to build houses and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And here for me is the, here's where it really lands. Also seek 
the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because it prosper, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So in somewhere in the midst of that, it feels like that is our vision. Our vision is to be here for the long term. Our, built, our vision is to plan something that the generations that will come after us will be able to find fruit, will be able to multiply, will be able to build houses and plant gardens and see it grow. We'll be able to, um, we'll be able to, because of our role in this place, as we pray for them, as we pray for the peace and the prosperity of this place, as it prospers, we too will prosper. So it feels to me that the vision of this place is that by being in the centre of this community is for the sake of the peace and prosperity of the place that we have been called to. And so there's something about those words of Jeremiah that even as I'm trying to articulate it to you again today just really resonates within me. Something within me just wells up as I consider what our, the vision of this church is. I don't want to be part of a church that just shows up for this one hour on a Sunday. Our, our being here has to impact. Our being here has to make a difference out there. And so as we pray for this place, as they then find their peace and their prosperity because of what we do and what we're giving our lives to, um, there's just this beautiful mutual benefit that happens and we all get to experience the peace and the prosperity of, of the Lord. Um, and maybe slightly, slightly uh, less exciting, I don't know, but Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, the message version. Again, a wee bit more of... of the vision uh, found in, in words of scripture. Romans 12, here again, is what seems to resonate as I think of what it is that we're called to as a, as a local church in this place. Here is what I want you to do. Paul writing to the, to the church in Rome. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Lot to, lot to unpack in there. But I think just in our everyday, our eating, our sleeping, or going to work, or walking around life, um, place it before God as an offering and then respond to what he wants to do. Um, and so the good thing about being part of a team is that although my mind goes to today and tomorrow, it is good to be around others who will, who will raise our eyes raise their vision to go look further and we work it all out together. Um, so although that's what I'm saying for me, being part of a team, which we'll touch on, um, is really important because we need those that will be in the moment, but we will need those that will think beyond as well. So our values, this is another reason. So there's a few people that have um, came along over the last number of months that... Uh, they maybe walk in and see these um, six six words on the on the side of the wall, and um, and maybe wonder a wee bit what that's about. Um, 
So I think it would be just good just to point them out for a moment. Uh, they, do, they all feel um, that they're a really important part of of the life of the church. Um, I know we've maybe, we've maybe forced things a wee bit to make it into a word. Forgive us for that. But um, uh, the very idea of simple just suits us, suits me. Um, and uh, in the midst of all of that are these six words that I think help define what we really value. And so the first thing is scripture. And again, we've, we've done this before, maybe a few years back, where we've, um, where we've done a, a week on each value. Um, so again, it's it's out there somewhere. If you want to hear more, um, you can do that, or you can come and have a conversation with us. Uh, but I'm just gonna, I really, I'm just gonna whistle through these relatively quickly. Um, scripture. I do want to just point out one verse in John five, verse thirty-nine. Um, Jesus speaking to the religious elite. He says to them that you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. And so we value the scripture. I love the scriptures. But I also recognize, I recognize in my own story, I recognize in conversations with other people, that it is possible to love the Bible, to follow the Bible, um, and to never hear the voice of God. To never see Jesus, and so Scripture it's an important value for us, but it but it has to point us to Jesus. And so when we come to the Scripture, when we come to whether we're looking at the letter of Ephesians, whether we're in the Old Testament, whether we're looking towards Revelation, wherever we find ourselves, the Scriptures that need we need to be asking: Does it look like Jesus? Does it sound like Him? Um. Yeah, there is a part of me just like would love to keep going on this, but I want to get through this. I want to let you know the bigger thing that we're a part of, and uh, I don't want to take too long at that. Identity is the second value. Um, again, if I was to be able to, if I had the time to share part of my testimony, to share my story, the idea this this is what um, has become so significant for me, and sort of a a shift in thinking, a shift in deepening of relationship with God. In some ways I feel like, again, I'm not blaming anybody or any denomination, but I almost had this idea that Jesus was was the good one that came to rescue me from God who was who was angry and, and out to get me. But there's something about the scriptures again that, that over and over I began to see that if you want to see what God is truly like, you look to Jesus. You look to Jesus who, who this other-centered enemy-loving, peacekeeping way of Jesus. If I want to see what God is like, I look at him. And something began to shift in me. And even as we looked at last week, I think last Sunday was important as we even think about our identity because Paul's prayer, this transitional, pivotal prayer that Paul prays, um, a lot of P's in there, Paul prays is fervent and it's urgent and it was that, in, that we would know and experience the, the width and the breadth and the height and the length of the love that he has for us. And it's beautiful that I can say this again, and I feel like we should maybe we could just get away with saying it every week. Where you sit right now, his love for you is perfect. 
His love for you is 100% complete. Where you sit with whatever is going on in your head, whatever is going on in your week, where you sit right now, his love for you is complete. There is nothing that you've done or could possibly ever do that could make him love you less. And it's, impo- it's impossible. Impossible for you even to do anything that could make him love you anymore. His love for you, where you sit right now, is complete. And that does something to how we see ourselves. It has to has to do something to how we see ourselves and how we even see other people. I do want to share a verse, um, uh, Romans 8, verse 14. Again, it's, I think it's important. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Um. What's that about? And we cry, Abba, Father. There is something that happens within us that because of what we what he has done, this like Romans 8 is just a powerful chapter that reminds us, book ended with there's no condemnation in Jesus and ends that there is um, nothing that could separate you from this love. And in the middle of, of Romans 8, you are sons and daughters of God. You're led by the Spirit and it's by that spirit within you that you're able to cry out, Abba. You are a son and daughter of God. Again, where you sit right now, you are a son of God. His love for you is complete. Daughter of God, he loves you. His love for you is complete. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And that means that this is crazy. Verse 17 of Romans 8. If we are children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I've underlined this about 17 times in here because I, still, I think every time I've read it, I underline it. Like, like how is this possible? Co-heirs with Christ. That is who we are. And J.I. Packer said this. Um, probably one of my favourite quotes from any author because I think he, he, uh, he really gets to the heart of this when he said, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Then maybe that maybe seems a bit strong. I don't know how you're hearing that, um, but I think he's right, and that's why identity and discovering who we are and whose we are is really important for us here. Um, third one is is mission, missional, missional. Um, again, really important to us. Uh, you can't be you can't be founded by a by a global humanitarian aid organization and not have mission as a central part of your um, a central part of your values. And what I've loved and what I've discovered, I think it's all part of scripture and identity leading to this revelation that we get to participate and partner uh, with God in his mission. It's not that we have to come up with something, <clears throat> that we need to create something. <coughs> we need to come up with something new. And then ask for him to bless it. Because Jesus himself already said, I think in John 4, the Father is at work. In fact, he is always working. The mission of God is it's 
It's unstoppable. It's unending. And the beautiful thing is that he wants, he has chosen to partner with us. And there's moments throughout the Gospels, especially I think in Matthew, where he just, we're just being reminded that Jesus, yes, he is the light of the world, but then he entrusts it to us. When in Matthew 5, he says, now, now you are the light of the world. Now go and shine. Now go and make, make me known, make much of me. Live in such a way that people will see me, will see who I truly am as you live and serve those places and people that you've been called to love and to serve. Um, and we'll talk about it in a moment when we look at what we give financially to, but when we think of what we get to partner with, um, to participate in the mission of God, we, we do think locally. And so there's a part of me that that is where, where a huge chunk of my time and heart and energy is in the local. But we're also a part with, with people within, within this church. We get to partner with those that are, that are involved in things nationally. And then we have the joy of being part of things even beyond that. And, um, and so most of you will know uh, Nigel and Lucas, part of the church, and David's dad, Adrian, just returned this morning um, from, from the Polish border, from Lublin. And uh, we're looking forward to, we've seen snippets of what they've been up to, and uh, looking forward to hearing more how we can, as a church partner, participate in what God is is doing on the Polish border and around the world. Um, fourth thing is the is presence. Uh, incorporated in that is just our is our prayer and our worship, trusting and believing and discovering that He is always near. He's not distant. We gather, when we gather in His name. He's He's here. He's present. He's not aloof. He's not distant from us. He is one who draws near. Um, some of the language the psalmists use is, uh, is beautiful. When, uh, when we call out to him, he stoops, he bends low, he comes down really close. It's the nature of the God that we serve. He is, um, he's not distant and we need his presence. We need his presence. And it's discovered when we surrender. It's discovered when we pray. Discovered when we call out that we recognize that we need the Holy Spirit to fill us for um, for all that we do, for everything that we're involved in. His presence is discovered when we worship. It's discovered when we gather around the Lord's table, and uh, and discovered through through baptism. And um, and again, we'll not we'll not we'll not dwell on this for too long. We'll maybe come back to it. But if even just me mentioning the very idea of baptism is something that you want to discuss further or um, you're ready to, uh, to publicly recognize and, and, and put your, uh, publicly put your faith in Jesus, then um, uh, come and have a conversation with, with one of us after. Um, love, it, it, it's so central, isn't it? Like this idea of moving beyond ritual. Uh, moving beyond duty again I, I love the language of Paul Paul throughout his letters he he's writing in such a way that he's communicating that he is compelled by love he's not doing this out of ritual he's not doing this to get something out of it he's doing it because he's been compelled by love 
He's been caught by the gospel story. And it's absolutely transformed his life. Transformed the trajectory of his life. It's not duty. Because trust me, and, and you'll know, you'll know when you've done it, and you'll know when you've experienced it. When someone has loved out of duty, it is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Just, it's just a racket. It's just like a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. When you love out of ritual, when you love out of duty. And so the idea of communicating other-centered love as Jesus modeled to us is really important. And so it's why we give of our time. It's why we give of our treasure. It's why we give of our talent. Um, and it simply changes how we see how we see other people. Um, the last one, everyone, every day, everywhere. And I, feel, like, I honestly feel like we could spend weeks in this. Because over the last wee while, I've, I've, the language that I've been using in just in my own personal study has been contrasting mono-voice and multi-voice. And, um, and so I, I'm convinced that if we go back to the scriptures, if we go back even to the first, the early church, the first couple of centuries, it was very much uh, a multi-voiced culture where everybody got to speak. Everybody's voice and role was incredibly significant, incredibly important. The language we've used around here before is, is uh, we fully believe in the priesthood of all believers, that everyone has a role to play, that everyone um, has a function within the body that is needed, it's necessary. And so we, if we had time today, we would go and look at the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 that was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came on all flesh. Sons and daughters were prophesying. Old men were dreaming dreams. Young men were having visions. The whole, the spirit was poured out on all flesh and all could contribute. All could speak in to the life of the church. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm sort of nerding out a wee bit of that in the minute, sort of following how the, there's been these peaks of, these peaks, I think, of renewal are when multi-voice is at its best. There's times where there's one voice tries to dictate, there's tries to take over, and it doesn't work, it doesn't lead to health. And I think it's important because I think there's a, there's a moment where this almost speaks into any one of these other values that we've talked about, even, even with presence. So the idea of worship. Sometimes we can become so dependent on one worship leader. And I love the guys that, that, that lead us here. But the thought of being dependent on them, the thought of being dependent on one person leading from the front, I just don't know if that's the healthiest way to be build church. And so I think what I love about the variety of people and I'd love even more is that, that we, we want to express praise in many, in many ways. We want opportunities to share our own stories. We want to be able to express a full range of emotions. And, and we don't want to depend on one. That's why I love 1 Corinthians 14, 26. When Paul says, when you meet together, one will sing, and one will teach, and one will, uh, another will tell some special revelation that God has given. One will speak in tongues, one will interpret. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. I love that. I want to be part of the church. And part of this is, part of this I see, I, we see this, I think, here. 
but part of it is also aspirational. I I would love it that that is we just arrive here and everybody's ready to go. Somebody's sitting waiting. The believe, the trust what Paul says, someone's waiting with a revelation, with a story, with an expression, with a with a song, with a teach. And it's all done to strengthen all of you. I think it could be within our with the idea of scripture, with the within relation to learning. We want to have diverse learning styles. We don't want just one voice from the front. We don't want to be again the definition of mono voice. We don't want just one preacher. We don't want just to be depending on one voice. We want different voices that will help us wrestle with the text, wrestle with what it is that God's saying in relation to mission, relation to hearing from God, to discerning what he is saying to us. The community, I believe, we all can seek the mind of Christ together. And, 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 I, and I long for that. because I think when we, when we when that's the case, when that value is at its best, I think it increases ownership of the mission. It increases confidence. I think I think it it, it causes us ready, uh, ready, willing to engage with with our neighbours, to be hospitable to our neighbours, to be alert to every opportunity. Um, and so I know I've I've gone past my time for that, but those are the six values. Um. If there's something that you want to push back on, if there's something that I haven't covered well enough, please come and and let me know, and we can unpack that a wee bit more. So as part of as part of this church, um, we are we're not on our own. We're not in isolation. Uh, we have the the joy over the last sort of. Um, Part of me wants to say 10 years, but I don't think it's as long as that, is it? Or there is um, just a group of friends that uh, part of different churches around this island that um, that just had a heart for kingdom partnership. And um, as we gathered, as we met to pray, different ones of us, um, Genesis 26 was, uh, was, a, was a place that we back to often and Genesis 26 verses 17 and 18 reads Isaac moved away and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there and verse 18 Isaac reopened the wells <clears throat> that had been dug in the time of his, of his father Abraham which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died and he gave them the same names his father had given them. And then it goes on to tell us about the, how Isaac and his servants dug in the valley and what they named the wells that they dug. Um, so Tabar, Tabar is the Irish word for well or springs. And so we're part of this family of families now, this, this, uh, this wider network of of families who are longing to see those old wells reopened. So we, we've, I think that if we had time to think, if we reflected on a moment, we could think how the enemy has, has clogged up and, and, and ceased uh, life flowing from certain wells, from certain churches, denominations maybe. Um, but we're longing to see those old wells reopened. 
But what I appreciate about that, so, so over the last number of years, um, I went searching for, I went searching for a network, or I went searching for somewhere to belong. See, like, like I love here, I love being part of this, but just just to be feel like you're a part of something bigger felt like that was important for us. And she went went looking at different, and no, it's not a name. I'm not going to name, or it's not a shame anyway. But just went looking for places that that were sort of new, new ideas, new models, new understanding. And it was almost like the the old the old guys they've had their turn. We're moving on. There's something about that that I just that just didn't sit with me, because I I recognise there is an experience and there is a there is a deepen deepening maturing um, heart in in some of those older men that we are at our like we just can't miss what they've got what they've got to offer and so the so the thought of being around somewhere that was still longing to see the old wells reopen. For them to rediscover calling and destiny was really important. But also the new wells being released, the new wells being dug, seeing new life and new missional communities, new church expressions planted across this uh, this island. It's just beautiful to be a part of that. Not only new wells being opened, but the old ones being re-dug. And, um, and so we, we, we get to do that. We get to be a part of that, the the. The strategy, I suppose, of Tabar is to be a resource. And in being a resource, it's a commitment to the established church, who we, as I've said, have much to learn from. It's also to be a family. We are part of that family. There is a network of church plants and missional communities that, that gather together, that grow together, that learn together. And, uh, and, it's, and it's a wonderful thing to be a part of that family. And then there's training that is also available. Uh, there's a pathway to train and equip um, for any age, any stage, um, just, to, just to come and be equipped for what God has called you to. What I love is that none, none of us look the same. None of us look the same, and we all carry our own unique name and our own unique identity in some ways. And so again, it's a, it's a short insight into... The, the network, the, the bigger picture that we are a part of, and I think it's important for you to know that.